If you've been reading my books and listening to my talks on the topic of information manipulation, you've already been well positioned to sort through the propaganda amid the events of recent years. If you're interested, you can watch the TEDx talk and share it with your friends. Just search the internet under my name, the word AstroTurf, and TEDx, or anything close to that, and it should come up. Again, the title, AstroTurf and Manipulation of Media Messages. One of my favorite topics to explore and write about in recent years has been the countless secretive but effective ways that propagandists for corporations and for political interests have figured out how to sway public opinion. They figured out how to censor views, manipulate us into thinking that we are outliers in opinion when we're not, or that scientific facts aren't true. I foretold a lot of this in my books, Stonewalled, The Smear, and Slanted. And the efforts by the propagandists have only expanded and grown more audacious since then. Well, I did a little digging, and today we're going to examine an interesting case in point, the evolution of the definition and use of the word migrant. First, though, a true story about something related that happened years ago when I was working as a correspondent at CBS News. This was at the beginning of the advocates and propagandists' effort to try to get the media and government and everyone else to stop using the phrase illegal immigrant and replace it with something that sounds more innocuous. And I don't mean to split hairs, but even illegal immigrant doesn't encompass the range of illegal border crossers. A cartel thug crossing the border to traffic children, for example, isn't an illegal immigrant. And we have no way to know the true motivation of all of those who cross, including the ones who get away. So to call them all illegal immigrants isn't really accurate, but it was a widely settled upon term in the news in the late 90s and early 2000s. Well, one day at CBS, we get a news-wide memo from our ethics czar, the person sort of in charge of company-wide policies and the person who sort of liaisons with our corporate partners between the news division and corporate CBS. Anyway, she announces that we are no longer going to say illegal immigrant. We will start using the phrase instead, undocumented worker. I remember thinking at the time, well, that's not an accurate encompassing phrase. Leaves out a whole lot of people, putting them all under an umbrella that doesn't accurately describe them. I mean, you're assuming that they are all working and most of them probably aren't. First of all, it's illegal for the illegal border crossers to come in and work. And although some of them do it anyway, many do not. Second, many of the women who come in don't intend to work. They are here being stay-at-home parents, living in assisted housing, etc. Children who are brought illegally aren't undocumented workers. It was really as if no logical thought had been put behind the decision to go along with the propagandists and activists. Well, I was not high man on the totem pole at the time at CBS, and who was going to listen to me? But I did call a fairly high-ranking person in New York in the news division to voice my concerns over accuracy. I was working in Washington, D.C. at the time, by the way. Before I said much to this person, he interrupted and said, I know this whole thing is ridiculous. Everyone is incensed. He assured me that the memo that said we were to call all illegal immigrants undocumented workers, he said it had stoked a lot of upset and that the ethics czar had heard from a lot of people in the news division. Well, it wasn't long before a new memo came out from the ethics czar, and this one replaced the other guidance and said, we were going to stick with 
illegal immigrant. I don't think that change would happen today. Too many in the news seem to go along with taking a biased position or adopting the language of propagandists and activists. So that brings us to a current case study, the words immigrant and migrant. I'll have the hard evidence of the morphing of definitions after a short break. Most of us probably used to think that dictionaries or definitions existed to explain the meanings of words. Well, today, these very resources are instead often used as tools to redefine and manipulate words to the liking of governments, corporations, or other propagandists who want to influence people or make them think a certain way. As I've long discussed, for most any source of information now, special interests and propagandists have found a way to co-opt and pervert it. This includes sources of information such as social media, Wikipedia, which is one reason why co-founder of Wikipedia Larry Sanger says he ultimately left the project. He says he was disgusted by the propagandist takeover of Wikipedia where a lot of false information is on there, a lot of true information is censored. Also, conflicted sources of information include Snopes, medical journals and studies, and I've done reports on Full Measure and CBS News and on my website about how the editors of these prestigious journals themselves, such as the British journal Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine, how these editors say that much of what is published in these journals is not to be believed because the information is now so controlled and influenced by pharmaceutical interests and vaccine companies. Also, the conflicted sources of information include, as you know, the news media, dictionaries, and blogs like, to name just a few, Daily Coast, Huffington Post, Media Matters, Science Blog, Salon, Vox, Slate, GQ, Rolling Stone, all of these ones that have skeptic in their name or something that sounds scientific, but they're actually propagandists for corporations and industry, and many, many more. Well, in some instances, information manipulators popularize new terms that they create out of whole cloth or ones that they define in a way that's useful to their goals. These terms include conspiracy theory, how that is used to disparage people, even though things that are labeled conspiracy theories often are true. Anti-vaccine, even though people who are commonly labeled anti-vaccine by vaccine industry interests are not at all anti-vaccine, any more than I'm anti-tire because I did stories exposing dangers in Firestone tires. It's ridiculous, but that term has really caught hold. Other such terms include without evidence. That's a phrase the media all started using about the same time to try to disparage Donald Trump and his supporters in any way possible. And then there are things like food desert, creating the idea that there's somebody inherently at fault if there is too big of a swath of a neighborhood that doesn't have a grocery store and it's too hard for people to get their food. It almost seems to ignore the fact that until modern times, people had to work much harder People with much less means had to work much harder to get food and were able to do it by either growing it themselves or having other means of getting food distribution. They certainly didn't have to have it literally within four or five steps of a walking distance or be called a food desert. And then there are phrases like transphobic, logically homophobic, transphobic. Those are misapplied all the time because people may differ with the rights that trans people should have or with 
whether it's a mental illness or whether it's something that is not a mental illness, but it doesn't mean they are phobic or afraid of people who identify or who go through a trans process. So transphobic is inaccurate almost every time the word is used, but it's commonly used. Another one, died by suicide. This was a new one to me, but if you start noticing it now that I've mentioned it, a lot of people are now saying in the news instead of somebody committing suicide that they died by suicide. And again, it makes no sense to me. The first couple of times I heard that phrase, I thought it was something besides suicide. It sounds like someone has done an act upon somebody, and yet the word suicide implies it was done to themselves. Very confusing, but advocates are pushing for died by suicide. I think it has something to do with a stigma, they think, that is placed on suicide. But first of all, I think a lot of people don't think we should make that word not have some kind of stigma because it's such a terrible end for people. And I think we pretty much agree upon as a society that we don't want people and vast numbers of people committing suicide. But there is an effort to redefine that phrase and that term and to use it differently. There are so many examples. Well, the same people that we're talking about also redefine commonly used terms, not just invent new terms, but redefine commonly understood terms to achieve their propaganda goals. And one recent example, as I mentioned, can be found in the efforts to redefine the term migrant. For decades in the United States, the word migrant commonly referred to people from another country coming here to the U.S. and moving around from place to place, usually for work. I grew up in Florida, worked in the news business in Florida. We did a lot of stories on migrant workers that follow the crops around wherever they need to be picked or cared for. So they may start in one part of Florida, then they may go up to Minnesota. They migrate around and then they often go back home to their foreign country, migrant workers. Well, this word does not accurately describe most illegal border crossers today because these people, the illegal border crossers, either intend to permanently relocate in the U.S., which would make them immigrants, or they are criminals or drug dealers or human traffickers moving back and forth between the U.S. and Mexico to facilitate crime. And as I have reported previously, there are lots of those, tens of thousands every year. But nobody has announced who first instigated this change, this desired change to not call people immigrants who come here illegally, but to call them migrants. But the news media quickly adopted this inaccurate new usage of the term. Well, I took a look, did a little internet magic, and you can see the evolution of the efforts to redefine migrant in definitions published online. Remember, definitions are or were traditionally used to explain the meaning of a term, not to convince or brainwash people into using terms in a new way to fulfill the goal of propagandists. That's not what a dictionary traditionally ever did. And this is an important point. It may sound like a slight difference, but it's not. On the one hand, we're talking about a dictionary in the traditional sense of the term that is more of a passive reference that explains something that already exists out there. What is the meaning of a particular word if you don't know it? The other is, the one we're talking about and criticizing today, at least I am, is using a dictionary instead to create new words or to create new definitions and hope that people as a result start using the words a different way or think a different way. And of course, this implies 
that the propagandists that we've discussed have influence with or understand how to manipulate the online dictionaries and the online tools that we refer to, as we know they do Wikipedia. And if it weren't for some special tools that I'm going to tell you about in a minute, all the changes in definitions and another information that's published online might just be disappeared, sort of like George Orwell's book, 1984, where history and news are being rewritten by government minders in real time to reflect what the government wants things to say or the government's current view of things, and you would never really have a way to know how things really existed or happened in the past because that information was disappeared down the memory hole. Well, the Internet's kind of like that. We're so reliant on it now that if something disappears on the Internet or is changed on the Internet, is there ever a way to see how it used to be? pretty hard. Well, there is something currently in existence that I'm sure the propagandists would love to get rid of and may someday, but it's a tool called the Wayback Machine. And you can use this at archive.org where you can type in a website that you want to see what it looked like or what a particular page looked like years ago or a day ago or some time ago. And if it was crawled or recorded by archive.org, you can see it in its original state or in a previous state at a given point in time. I use this tool all the time in my news gathering. So anyway, using the Wayback Machine, I can see that at dictionary.com, it listed the correct common definitions of migrant as late as December of 2016. Here's the definition I'm talking about. Dictionary.com says, quote, migrant, also called a migrant worker, a person who moves from place to place to get work, especially a farm laborer who harvests crops seasonally. That was the understood definition, as long as I can remember. However, by May of 2017, using the magic of the Wayback Machine, we can see, remind you now, President Donald Trump is in the White House, and there are massive efforts already underway to unseat him and undermine his border security policies, make sure he doesn't get to build a border wall, and so on. Dictionary.com suddenly, May of 2017, lists an entirely new made-up definition of migrant. The new definition reads, quote, a person who attempts to permanently relocate to a new country, but who may be subjected to removal by the government of that country, undocumented migrants, unaccompanied child migrants. In other words, those are how they want you to use those phrases, not illegal immigrants, but undocumented migrants and unaccompanied child migrants. Significantly, this new made-up definition was given a place of prominence at dictionary.com under the word migrant above the accurate, long-standing definition of migrant. I think that tells us something, too. You know how when you look up a definition, it will say one, two, three, you know, different versions or uses of the word? Well, initially, The traditional definition that we've talked about was right under the quick description, a person or animal that migrates. But once the new definition was written, it bumped down the real definition and the made-up definition became superior to it, the one that you come across first as if it is the more common usage, even though it was not used at all in that context initially. Now, those behind the effort to change the definition They know the reasons why they are doing it and the impact that they hope it will have. And odds are, based on what I know from past reporting, 
The terms and definitions have been tested with groups of people, and they've settled upon whatever they think will get their desired goal accomplished. To date, though, the reasoning and the sources haven't been shared with us in the public. But I think it's a fascinating yet disturbing lesson in propaganda and psychology and human behavior to see so many people unthinkingly adopt the new definition and use of migrant despite its inaccuracy. On this podcast a few weeks ago, you may have heard me talk to an immigration lawyer, actually someone who's against illegal immigration, and she was using the word migrant, migrant, migrant throughout the interview, and I asked her at the end why she was using that particular word, and she said, I don't know, I think it's because I was sitting in the green room at Fox News getting ready to go on, and they were using the word. And in fact, when I've asked a lot of people why they've switched to using the word migrant, most of them have told me that they don't really know why, other than they've started hearing so many other people using the word migrant instead of immigrant. Really interesting. And then some people, when you ask them why they're using the word differently, they appear perfectly satisfied, unquestioning, as long as somebody published the inaccurate definition that they're using in a reference that they can point to. For comparison, think of this example. We all know that a bicycle is typically a two-wheeled vehicle on a frame propelled by pedals and steered by handlebars. But what if one day someone started pointing to a pogo stick and calling it a bicycle? And what if instead of us saying, that's not correct, the news media and others begin calling pogo sticks bicycles? And then what if dictionary.com changes its definition of bicycles to read a spring-loaded pole toy for jumping around on. And what if those who were asked why they began calling a pogo stick a bicycle pointed to dictionary.com for proof and said, look, you can see a pogo stick is a bicycle. It's in dictionary.com. With that kind of logic, you could almost be convinced a man is a woman, a frog is a person, or up is down. Radical activist Saul Alinsky wrote, he who controls the language controls the masses. Something to think about. I will be posting a version of this podcast, a written version, at my website, CherylAckison.com, and also in that post, you will be able to see screenshots of the changed definition and the current definition of migrant at dictionary.com. I will title the article something like, Anatomy Lesson Redefining Migrant, so that you can easily find it or use the search function on my website. Introducing Whipped Seafoam Body Butter by Sirene Cosmetics. Hi, I'm Star, owner of the Lemonade Mermaid. Enriched with the nourishing powers of cocoa butter, mango butter, and shea butter, our body butter whisks you away to a world of deep hydration. Experience the essence of the sea with every application as this whipped delight leaves your skin refreshed, replenished, and ready to conquer the day. Visit thelemonademermaid.com and make your skin sing with the magic of the sea. Now this seems like an appropriate time and an appropriate podcast to play my TEDx talk entitled AstroTurf and Manipulation of Media Messages. Keep in mind, I gave this short talk in 2015, seven years ago, but you can easily apply the things I'm talking about to so many events since then. 
the last election, COVID, and more. So, consider this fictitious example that's inspired by real life. Say you're watching the news and you see a story about a new study on the cholesterol-lowering drug called Colextra. The study says Colextra is so effective that doctors should consider prescribing it to adults and even children who don't yet have high cholesterol. Is it too good to be true? You're smart. You decide to do some of your own research. You do a Google search. You consult social media, Facebook and Twitter. You look at Wikipedia, WebMD, a nonprofit website. And you read the original study in a peer-reviewed published medical journal. It all confirms how effective Colextra is. You do run across a few negative comments and a potential link to cancer, but you dismiss that because medical experts call the cancer link a myth and say that those who think there is a link there are quacks and cranks and nuts. Finally, you, you learn that your own doctor recently attended a medical seminar. The lecture that he attended confirmed how effective Colextra is. So he sends you off with some free samples and a prescription. You've really done your homework. But what if all isn't as it seems? What if the reality you found was false? A carefully constructed narrative by unseen special interests designed to manipulate your opinion. A Truman Show-esque alternate reality all around you. Complacency in the news media combined with incredibly powerful propaganda and publicity forces mean we sometimes get little of the truth. Special interests have unlimited time and money to figure out new ways to spin us while cloaking their role. Surreptitious astroturf methods are now more important to these interests than traditional lobbying of Congress. There's an entire industry built around it in Washington. What is astroturf? It's a perversion of grassroots as in fake grassroots. AstroTurf is when political, corporate, or other special interests disguise themselves and publish blogs, start Facebook and Twitter accounts, publish ads, letters to the editor, or simply post comments online to try to fool you into thinking an independent or grassroots movement is speaking. The whole point of AstroTurf is to try to give the impression there's widespread support for or against an agenda when there's not. AstroTurf seeks to manipulate you into changing your opinion by making you feel as if you're an outlier when you're not. One example is the Washington Redskins name. Without taking a position on the controversy, if you simply were looking at news media coverage over the course of the past year or looking at social media, you'd probably have to conclude that most Americans find that name offensive and think it ought to be changed. But what if I told you 71% of Americans say the name should not be changed? That's more than two-thirds. AstroTurfers seek to controversialize those who disagree with them. They attack news organizations that publish stories they don't like, whistleblowers who tell the truth, politicians who dare to ask the tough questions, and journalists who have the audacity to report on all of it. Sometimes astroturfers simply shove intentionally so much confusing and conflicting information into the mix that you're left to throw up your hands and disregard all of it, including the truth. Drown out a link between a medicine and a harmful side effect, say vaccines and autism, by throwing a bunch of conflicting paid-for studies, surveys, and experts into the mix, confusing the truth beyond recognition. And then there's Wikipedia. AstroTurf's dream come true. Billed as the free encyclopedia that anyone can edit, 
the reality can't be more different. Anonymous Wikipedia editors control and co-opt pages on behalf of special interests. They forbid and reverse edits that go against their agenda. They skew and delete information in blatant violation of Wikipedia's own established policies with impunity, always superior to the poor schlubs who actually believe anyone can edit Wikipedia, only to discover they're barred from correcting even the simplest factual inaccuracies. Try adding a footnoted fact or correcting a fact error on one of these monitored Wikipedia ages and pages and poof, sometimes within a matter of seconds, you'll find your edit is reversed. In 2012, famed author Philip Roth tried to correct a major fact error about the inspiration behind one of his book characters cited on a Wikipedia page. But no matter how hard he tried, Wikipedia's editors wouldn't allow it. They kept reverting the edits back to the false information. When Roth finally reached a person at Wikipedia, which was no easy task, and tried to find out what was going wrong, they told him he simply was not considered a credible source on himself. <laughs> a few weeks later, there was a huge scandal when Wikipedia officials got caught offering a PR service that skewed and edit information on behalf of paid publicity-seeking clients in utter opposition to Wikipedia's supposed policies. All of this may be why when a medical study looked at medical conditions described on Wikipedia pages and compared it to actual peer-reviewed published research, Wikipedia contradicted medical research 90% of the time. You may never fully trust what you read on Wikipedia again, nor should you. Let's now go back to that fictitious Colextra example and all the research you did. It turns out the Facebook and Twitter accounts you found that were so positive were actually written by paid professionals hired by the drug company to promote the drug. The Wikipedia page had been monitored by an agenda editor also paid by the drug company. The drug company also arranged to optimize Google search engine results, so it was no accident that you stumbled across that positive nonprofit that had all those positive comments. The nonprofit was, of course, secretly founded and funded by the drug company. The drug company also financed that positive study and used its power of editorial control to omit any mention of, of cancer as a possible side effect. Once more, each and every doctor who publicly touted Colextra or called the cancer link a myth or ridiculed critics as paranoid cranks and quacks or served on the government advisory board that approved the drug, each of those doctors is actually a paid consultant for the drug company. As for your own doctor, the medical lecture he attended that had all those positive evaluations was, in fact, like many continuing medical education classes sponsored by the drug company. And when the news reported on that positive study, it didn't mention any of that. I have tons of personal examples from real life. A couple of years ago, CBS News asked me to look into a story about a study coming out from the nonprofit National Sleep Foundation. Supposedly, this press release coming out said, the study concluded we are a nation with an epidemic of sleeplessness and we don't even know it. And we should all go ask our doctors about it. A couple of things struck me about that. First, I recognized the phrase, ask your doctor as a catchphrase promoted by the pharmaceutical industry. They know that if they can get your foot through the door of the doctor's office to mention a malady, you're very likely to be prescribed the latest drug that's marketed. Second, I wondered how serious an epidemic of sleeplessness could really be if we don't even know that we have it. Right? It didn't take long for me to do a little research and discover that the National Sleep Foundation nonprofit and the study, which was actually a survey, not a study, 
were sponsored in part by a new drug that was about to be launched onto the market called Lunesta, a sleeping pill. I reported the study as CBS News asked, but of course I disclosed the sponsorship behind the nonprofit and the survey so the viewers could weigh the information accordingly. All the other news media reported the same survey directly off the press release as written without digging past the superficial. It later became an example written up in the Columbia Journalism Review, which quite accurately reported that only we at CBS News had bothered to do a little bit of research and disclose the conflict of interest behind this widely reported survey. So now you may be thinking, what can I do? I thought I'd done my research. What chance do I have separating fact from fiction, especially if seasoned journalists with years of experience can be so easily fooled? Well, I have a few strategies that I can tell you about to help you recognize signs of propaganda and astroturf. Once you start to know what to look for, you'll begin to recognize it everywhere. First, hallmarks of astroturf include use of inflammatory language such as crank, quack, nutty, lies, paranoid, pseudo, and conspiracy. Astroturfers often claim to debunk myths that aren't myths at all. Use of the charged language tests well. People hear something's a myth, maybe they find it on Snopes, and they instantly declare themselves too smart to fall for it. But what if the whole notion of the myth is itself a myth and you and Snopes fell for that? Beware when interests attack an issue by controversializing or attacking the people, personalities, and organizations surrounding it rather than addressing the facts. That could be AstroTurf. And most of all, AstroTurfers tend to reserve all of their public skepticism for those exposing wrongdoing rather than the wrongdoers. In other words, instead of questioning authority, they question those who question authority. You might start to see things a little more clearly. It's kind of like taking off your glasses and wiping them and putting them back on and realizing for the first time how foggy they've been all along. I can't resolve these issues, but I hope that I've given you some information that will at least motivate you to take off your glasses and wipe them and become a wiser consumer of information in an increasingly artificial paid-for reality. Thank you. If you've been reading my books and listening to my talks on the topic of information manipulation, you've already been well positioned to sort through the propaganda amid the events of recent years. If you're interested, you can watch the TEDx talk and share it with your friends. Just search the internet under my name, the word AstroTurf, and TEDx, or anything close to that, and it should come up. Again, the title, AstroTurf and Manipulation of Media Messages. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you'll share this podcast and leave a great review. And now you can support independent journalism, which has never been more important, by visiting CherylAckeson.com and clicking the Store tab. There are some thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers like you, with proceeds from sales benefiting various independent reporting causes. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.